What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get informed. Get inspired. And get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. So we're here at the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference, and I'm with Vanessa Matthews. Her company is Asphalus Advisors, and you're speaking on a panel tomorrow. Uh, what was the name of that? It had a really creative name. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually a speaker during the lightning session, and the topic is the beauty and the beast of resilience. Resilience. That is a power word for me. Absolutely. (laughs) And you have to have resilience to be in the cannabis industry. Definitely. You have to be ready to pivot. You have to grow really thick skin. Because as lovely as the plant itself is, this industry has a lot of challenges. Obviously, federally illegal. Even in states. Now, Massachusetts is doing a great job with setting aside a certain number of licenses for communities that have been impacted by the failed war on drugs, specifically marijuana. So that's encouraging to see. And as we're moving across the country, some of these other states that legalized or maybe have medical programs, they need to catch up too. Where do you think, where do you think the ideal... Um, direction is for these states? Should they, should they look to states that are already doing it successfully, like Massachusetts, or what are your thoughts around how to do this right? From a social equity perspective? Yeah, yeah so, um, you know, our company is a woman-owned or. Our company is a woman-owned organization, and we're headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So one of the things about that city is we're 50 out of 50 for upward mobility, which means if you're born poor in the city, you will die poor in the city. And from a city and a county government perspective, there hasn't been very great progress in terms of ensuring that women-owned or minority companies are having the access to equal opportunity as other firms are when it comes to doing business. And so from that perspective... um, It's one thing to have a program. It's one thing to um, say that this is what we value and this is what we care about. 
but I very rarely see institutions physically um, doing the work outside of a checkbox, right? And so I think if there is an organization or if there is a local entity at the state or the local level that truly is making measurable progress in terms of helping to elevate um, minority businesses to have a seat at the table and to be a part of the cannabis industry, follow them, absolutely, right? And if there's others that are not where they are, then what can we do to help bring them up? And how can we help to cultivate an environment and a culture where um, they see the value in it and it's not just a check in the box, but they, but they honestly see, see the value and how it will ultimately impact the society as a whole? Absolutely. I, I, I like to talk about, yes, the cannabis industry will have big companies. They will have people like to say the Walmart or what have you. But there's also these boutique mom and pop small businesses that are just as important and super valuable. And the con- it depends on the consumer. There's the consumer that's going to go buy the Bud Light 24 pack yep. for $16.99. And then there's the consumer that's going to go bring their growler to the craft brewery <laughs> and pay I don't know $15 for you know not that much beer but that's what they want and that's the consumer right yep. so the consumer's values is also an important part of the industry would you say absolutely and it's funny you said that so in preparation for this conference and the talk on resilience I looked at well what's happening in the landscape and from a small business perspective competing with some of these these larger companies what's the challenge and the example that they gave talked about the beer industry if i'm a big company and i pay you as a small business owner to put my products in your stores i can outprice you and i essentially own you right and so i think it's it's how do we manage that at the onset and how do we take the lessons learned from all the under all the other industries what's great about the cannabis space is no one's really a veteran no business has really been here super long, like you know, a financial institution. So we have an opportunity to course correct before we start to get into um, the long-term play of this, right? And how do we help to really set up true small business owners for success as opposed to some of these huge companies that have so many different layers of people where um, it, it gets lost in translation and it's not really that true small business, that true mom and pop shop that's doing it because this is what they're passionate about versus I'm just here to make a dollar. Totally get that. So we, we've come a long way <laughs> uh, and we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, NCIA as an organization, it, our 10 year anniversary of existing and doing this work is this year in 2020. Um, I've been asking a lot of people to reflect, you know, where were you 10 years ago? Can, could you have predicted you'd be here at the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference in Boston and, and, and Senator Elizabeth Warren even, even endorsed and welcomed everybody? How nice. Um, <laughs> and, and, but like, where are we going from here also 10 years from now? So I know that's a lot to think about. There's, there's a lot to reflect on and a crystal ball to peer into, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, congratulations on 10 years, Yeah, because many organizations don't make it past the three to five year mark. So the fact that you've made it here, tremendous. It's interesting. 10 years ago, I was uh, actually in the middle of a degree in Homeland Security and Emergency Management. 
So I was mostly looking at risk and uh, crisis preparedness from a terroristic perspective or natural disaster standpoint, mostly all with the government perspective. In no way, shape, or form did I think, hmm, cannabis will be a huge industry. It'll be a multi-million dollar industry. Oh, and in 10 years, I'll be at a conference talking about risk. Absolutely not. <laughs> I love that story. That's great. So I think um, in terms of where we're going, I, you know, at this NCIA conference, so the, 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 this was my first time at a cannabis conference, and I came to learn more about what's happening in the industry and how does it tie into the world of risk and crisis, and crisis preparedness. And the two things that I keep hearing, well, actually it's three, it's social equity, it's inclusion and diversity, and it's risk management. Mm -hmm. And really, risk is a part of all three of those things because if you're not inclusive and diverse, and if we don't solve the problem from a social equity perspective, we're creating more risk in the industry as a whole. Um, so those are the three things that keep resonating with me. And I mean, personally, I would like to definitely see how this issue of those who have been locked away and put in prison for drugs that are currently now it's okay in X number of states, I would definitely like to see how our government and our um, political leaders are going to advocate and push to reverse that. And then more importantly, once those people get out, what does that reentry process look like? And then how can they create jobs for those who are working and who own a cannabis company, how can that create a pipeline for those organizations there? So it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, <laughs> I am encouraged by the, um, the setting aside of licenses for people from specific communities that were impacted hard, people of color and minorities. I'm, I'm encouraged by the record expungement. I'm encouraged by commuting sentences, pulling people out of jail that shouldn't be there right now while someone else is running a business selling what that same person was arrested for. Yep. So we're moving in the right direction. Um, I, I think our industry also, if, if we're going to uphold the values of the plant, this is a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to do reparations in this. Mm -hmm. We need to right the wrongs of the federal government ourselves and regulate our regulate ourselves as an industry from the inside out with these values in mind yep so over these next 10 years we're having more of these conversations taking some more actions hopefully as more of these states and we get closer to federal legalization <laughs> it's just kind of part of the process yeah. is, is what i'm hoping yeah well you know and i think from a cannabis perspective you have the attention of government because you impact the bottom line. Oh, yeah. They like those tax revenues, right? don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. You mean I can build roads? I can do X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. People listen when you bring in the dollars. Yeah. And so I think that's a wonderful position to be in. Mm -hmm. um, you bring in the dollars? Well, here's what we want for that dollar. And you help to advocate and have that conversation. Because like you said, it goes back to your core values. At the end of the day, who do you say that you are? Mm -hmm. And when crisis happens, who you say you are comes out. And so how do you help to really bring that out? and um, keep and maintain a message that is clear and concise and people understand, okay, if I'm working with NCIA, here's what they expect. So when you're at the table, they should have no problem answering the question, where are we and why are we still here and what's next? Absolutely. Um, our policy council is, is a great thing as well. We have, we have 
member-driven committees in various sectors. There's a risk management committee. There's a diversity and inclusion committee. There's a marketing committee. Um, all these things, cultivation committee. On top of that, we have our policy council, which is a little bit more of a um, advanced meeting of the minds around federal policy. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a white paper that we've produced last year around social equity with recommendations for including, um, in including certain values into laws going forward and you know what companies can do to do that as well. Our most recent policy paper was around consumer safety for vaping. Mm -hmm. Remember the vaping yep, illness? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that was <laughs> awful. So of course we want consumers to be safe. And I think safety um, is what people who have concerns about cannabis start thinking about too. Yep. Um, keeping it out of the hands of children. Um, one reason we really need to fix the banking crisis is because there's stacks of cash floating around and cash attracts criminal activity. And that's why dispensaries are getting robbed. And unfortunately, even a security guard lost his life a couple of years mm. ago. So all these issues of safety and not causing more harm is there's challenges that that we're not even creating ourselves, that the federal government's putting on us or yep. the states are putting on us that we have to navigate. But the, the purpose of this plant is, is to heal. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're just jumping hurdles here, right? Yep. But we're gonna get there. Yep, yep. And you're definitely jumping a lot of hurdles. <laughs> which, which honestly affects the business owners and it affects what they're trying to do and their bottom line and their people, which for every, city for every town for every state that they're in that affects unemployment and so it would behoove our government to um, create some type of systematic approach and um, because you know the issue I see I, I heard a compliance presentation before I came in here and the question that I always have is how can you hold me accountable to a standard if you don't even have a standard Right? If there's 50 different standards, somebody somewhere is confused. And how are you helping me as a business owner to do business in the United States? That, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, are you sabotaging the industry? <laughs> or are you just Do you want unsure? me to succeed? Do you want these tax revenues? <laughs> or do not. You want me to, do you want me to create jobs? <laughs> Trying. It's a great cool. approach. <laughs> Awesome. Um, well, I, I hope your talk tomorrow goes really well. And thank you so much for being here at the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference in Boston. And I hope to see you in San Francisco this summer at the Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. There's too many conferences. <laughs> but these are great conferences because they're, they're business to business. People here are professional. People are here to do business and learn from each other. Uh, so I always enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. <laughs> NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. 
Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the 2020 Cannabis Caucus Event Series from March 10th through March 26th. Don't miss this exclusive opportunity for NCIA members to network, learn about regional issues from influential guest speakers, and get the latest news about NCIA's federal policy work and emerging topics. Look for this year's only tour of Cannabis Caucus events coming to Portland, Denver, St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, Newark, Sacramento, and Los Angeles this March. Stay connected, get informed, and take action to protect our industry and your business. Register now for your complimentary tickets at thecannabisindustry.org slash events. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning. It's the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference, and I'm NCIA's podcast host, Bethany Moore. Hopefully, you're all subscribed to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice weekly podcast. This morning, I'm kicking off interviews with Chris Crane from Forefront Advisors. Good morning. Good morning. It's Forefront Ventures now. Oh, that's right. Sorry about that. Forefront Advisors still exists. It's a subsidiary. Oh, great. (laughs) So Forefront, how did you come up with the name for Forefront? What does that mean to you? I wish I had a good story. It was actually, we actually picked it as a placeholder when we were starting the company because we couldn't think of a better name. Um, and we, we said, well, eventually we'll come back and we'll think of like four things that we stand for or something. We just never did. It stuck and now we're known, known for it. And, and it works. It gets us, you know, we're, we're listed first on everything now because, you know, we it's got a numeral. Num- it's a numeral, yeah. Well, that's the creative process behind the curtain. Also. Exactly, yeah. I, I, wish, I wish I could say it really stood for something. Our, our retail brand mission, um, we, we picked that to reflect that we're a, a mission-driven company, that we stand for more than just selling cannabis. So that has some meaning to it. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but Forefront I like was, that. Was, was meant to be a placeholder. Speaking <laughs> of mission, uh, you have been not only in the industry, but the movement for a long time. I've, so, I've, so have you. I've known you since the 2000s. Yeah, I know. We used to be neighbors <laughs> in Mount Pleasant. Oh, man. Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. The, the East Old Coast medical marijuana activist crew. Wow. Uh, it's amazing that people that I was activist friends with back 17 years ago are on NCI's board of directors now. That's right. That's <laughs> it's right. It's really cool. Uh, so we could even go back 20 years, but the idea being that NCIA's 10-year anniversary as an organization is this year, in 2020. We founded in 2010. 
I joined the team in 2014, six years ago. Um, 2010 to now, a lot has happened. We can even go back further, but wow, let's, yeah. let's reflect into the past of, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Where were you? What were you doing? I know. Um, and could you have ever predicted we would be where we're at today? So 10 years ago, I might have been able to predict it. 20 years ago, no. Um, Same. Yeah. Uh, 20 years ago, I was, what was it? It was 2000, so I was interning at Normal uh, at the time. I got my first job at Normal in 2000, like after college uh, at that point. I was graduating high school. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I graduated college that year, was interning at Normal, got hired as their chapter coordinator right after college. And, cool. Um, you know, that was the, the very end of the Clinton administration. Uh, which was not friendly to cannabis reform, going into the Bush administration, the W. Bush administration, which was not friendly to cannabis reform, and we were, and we were really playing defense by and large. Uh, the only, the only cannabis commerce that was going on anywhere was really in some pockets in California, and it was totally unregulated, um, very wild west. Um, you know, some some really good folks and good operators, Berkeley Patients Group, you know, really stands out as one that was doing great back then and still Very around. Very caregiver focused uh, back then, right? Very caregiver that's focused, That's the only yes. way we could get it done. Yes, that's right. I mean, nobody was really thinking about what, like, large-scale legal regulated markets would look like. Um, I think by 10 years ago, that was a little different. So 10 years ago, I had already left my stint as executive director at Students for Sensible Drug Policy and was working at Canby at the time, which was a, a consulting offshoot of Harborside Health Center. And so that was when we first started seeing, you know, there were, there were new people who were interested in getting involved in this as an industry. We kind of set up a consulting company to help people get licenses and set up Harborside modeled dispensary operations. And so you could kind of see it coming at that point. But even then, you know, there wasn't a single state in the country at that point that had you know, that had that had full legal regulated cannabis. Right? Colorado was the first, and that happened, I think, that year. Um, maybe it was late 2009, early 2010, but Colorado kind of paved the way to, in terms of regulating uh, medical businesses. And so we could see it coming. Rhode Island was about to come online. D.C. was debating it at that point. California was debating it. It took them another seven years to do it. Um, so we could see this coming, but I don't. I don't know if I could say we would think it would. I would have thought it would be this big by now, um, that we would have this many states that have legalized for full adult, uh, adult use. We were, we were still working on you know, regulating medical, medical businesses at that point. So we're, we're further along, but I, I don't think that, if you had told me 10 years ago that this is where we'd be at today, I don't think I would be shocked, um, I, but I would be a little surprised at how, how far we've come. Sure, and, and now you can go to a cannabis conference every week if you want. At least, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, sometimes, sometimes I feel like I do. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's really, really good history to reflect on. I mean, and, and in a short amount of time. So from here, um, it's fun to crystal ball and look into the future, even though it's hard to predict where we're going to be six months from now, much sure. less, you know, five or 10 years from now. But if you could guess what's going to happen over the next 10 years from now until 2030, what are you seeing? You know, I, I actually... Th and maybe I'll, maybe I'll eat my words 10 years from now. I actually think the next 10 years are probably easier to predict than, you know, the past 10 or 20 years. Um, the, the question is more a matter of when. At this point, I think, ha like, how and what we kind of know we kind of know at this point, we kind of know how it's going to play out, but the, the timing is really the bigger question. Like, I think it's a fairly safe bet to say that you know, over the course of the next handful of years, more and more states are going to legalize for adult use. There are still a number of states 
that have the ballot initiative process uh, that we could get we can get legalization on the ballot that are likely to pass. Um, it's the medical playbook, right? I mean, we there are all the states that we pass medical initiatives uh, uh, in. We can now go back and pass uh, full adult legalization in. Um, so we're going to do that. We'll see more and more legislatures, I and mean, you can see you know the whole Northeast is likely going to have full legalization within the next. You know, let's say five years. Um, the Midwest is pretty close. Um, so you can kind of see how this is going to play out from a state by state level. Um, the federal, you know, federal level is the bigger wild card. But I, I, I'd say at this point, I'd be surprised if by 2030 we don't have some form of federal legalization. The, exactly what that looks like is still a big question. I think that's going to depend on how it happens federally and who's in charge. Um, right. but, uh, but I do think we'll see some kind of descheduling or legalization or something within the next 10 years. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of people are hoping for at least that level of federal uh, involvement. But um, yeah, you're right. It's up to the states one by one, really. Yeah. It's the same playbook that worked for medical. And we've, yeah. literally, we've literally been following the same playbook for adult use so far, right? I mean, it was it was almost the same states that uh, you know that passed medical ballot initiatives first that ended up passing legalization ballot initiatives first. It wasn't exactly the same order, right? California led the way for medical, and Colorado, Washington led the way for adult use. But you know, they've all caught up by now, um, and we're kind of seeing that same playbook uh, play out here. And I think that's that's not going to stop. The bigger question is federal and how you know how, what that looks like and how fast it happens. And looks, I mean, that could be 2021, right? It could be next year, 2021 or 2022, depending on what happens in the elections in November, if the Absolutely. you know if the Democrats happen to win the White House and the Senate, it's a very big, very big if. Um, but you know, if that were to happen, I think Could federal be legalization, it'd be, yeah, federal legalization is is very much in the cards in the next you know, in the next two years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm crossing my fingers for that. So that's a really good perspective on sort of the legislative uh, lawmaking side. When we're talking about the business side and the business operators, the more states that come online. I mean, the burning question is interstate commerce, but also multi-state operators, people that are, uh, they maybe started their business in California or Colorado and are successful, and now they want to move into other states. And currently, under the current framework, you kind of have to start from scratch in each state. That's right. Right. So c can you provide some perspective about what that landscape is going to look like for, for those that are ready to scale up? It's really hard. It's really, really hard. Uh, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. In, in, in any other business, if you, you know, you're producing craft beer in Colorado and, and it really takes off and you're, you, know, you, you realize you're starting to get a following in, in uh, Arizona and, and, and Utah and surrounding states, right? You just increase the size of your production facility and you start shipping products across states you know, to, to, the, to the retailers, you can't do that here. Pretty straightforward yeah. if it's not cannabis. Right. Here, you, you've got to rebuild that infrastructure everywhere, and that's really expensive, right? Building out a large-scale cultivation production operation, that's a you know, 10 plus million dollar project uh, for, for most of these projects. It's a lot of money that you have to spend to basically reinvent the wheel everywhere you go. You've got to you know, rejigger all of your, your, your operations protocols to meet totally different regulations in all these different states, um, to make things even more difficult. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's hard to raise the money. And so, you know, in most industries, if you get a license to do something, you know, get a license to do something, it's a you know, fairly protected license, right? A, a, a 
not particularly risky business. Um, you're going to get a loan, right? A small business loan or a loan to fund your capex costs. Um, so you know, build outs are generally funded by you know capex loans. Um, that's not available to the cannabis industry. And so when you want to go and raise that money, um, by and large, you're you're raising equity uh, capital, which means you're the the means means that. Everybody in the cannabis space owns significantly less of their company than they would if we were in any other industry because you have to sell off pieces of your company to go and finance these build-outs, build-outs that you wouldn't even have to do if you were in another industry because you would just you know, spend the money expanding your existing facility, which is substantially cheaper. Um, so it, that, that, that cost just compounds, right? It's more expensive. The money is more expensive to raise. It's harder to find. Um, the regulations are different. And so it's just, it's, 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 it's incredibly challenging. I mean, people think that like, oh, big cannabis companies are licensed to print money. And like, people don't realize just how hard this really is. God, that's wild. So you, you have to really just want to be in that market in order to make this kind of extra investment in order to have your company there. Like, yeah. And, and you have to be thinking long term, right? I mean, you have to be thinking about like... Upfront the, investment for the long term. Got it. Exactly. I mean, okay. the, company, you know, the companies that, 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 that play this well now um, and can really execute, right? I mean, part of the problem we've seen over the last few years is companies have been playing Monopoly, right? They've been buying licenses everywhere and, and, and putting, putting together these big license portfolios. But in many cases, it's been at the expense of great execution. Um, and so you can, you, know, you can control all these licenses, but if you don't know how to operate at scale and you haven't put the resources into building a great operations team and a great operations platform at scale, you're going to encounter some real troubles and really struggle. And I think we're starting to see that play out now, not with everybody, but with some of the multi-state company, companies. It's, you know, for the last couple of years, we've been saying a lot of companies out there are playing Monopoly. We've been trying to play Risk. Um, where, you know, <laughs> geography is still important, right? In Monopoly, it's just all about how many, how, you know, how many properties do you own? How many houses do you have on those properties, right? In cannabis, it's how many states are you in and which, and, and which limited license states are you in, right? Like, you know, Baltic Avenue is not worth the same as Boardwalk, um, right? A license in Oregon is right. not worth the same as a license in New York, right? Because the limited, yeah. you know, limited license states. And so it, it, the, the game had been up until recently about how many states are you in and which of the limited license states are you in. And that's what was driving valuations of these companies. Um, but now the focus has really shifted to, well, who can actually execute, right? And so if you look at something like risk, right, it's not just about how much geography do you control, but it's also about your strategy and your ability to execute against that geography. Um, and that's what we're starting to shift to now is it's not just how big are you and how many licenses do you have, but how are you executing against those licenses, um, right? Are you close to cash flow positive, right? Are you close to profitability? These are not questions that the investment community was asking a year ago that they're very much asking now. And that has made it a lot more difficult for companies to raise money um, because they no longer want, as the investors no longer want to see that you can acquire licenses. It's not that hard to acquire licenses, um, right? If you, got, if you get the money, you can buy a license. You get paper, you can buy the license with your stock, but it's much more difficult to actually execute against that in a cohesive plan in a multi-state platform. That's really great insight, absolutely. Um, it, there, there's a lot of resilience and, and know-how and the ability to execute, really, really important in order to be successful in this, this kind of landscape, for sure. Um, so as we wrap up our chat here, um, any final thoughts for advice for business owners of any size, really, of how to na navigate forward? I mean, be persistent, right? Like, this is not... If you, if you think that this is a short-term, get-rich-quick scheme type industry, you're in the wrong place. Uh, yeah, you're in the wrong place. But if you, if, you can, you know, if you can really focus on 
building a great operating team, building great executional capabilities, um, and and have a long-term vision, you're going to do fine. Um, don't get caught up in the like day-to-day ups and downs. Um, you know, really, you know, we're all going to have downs, right? There's going to be difficult times. This is a federally illegal business still. Um, but if you have your sights set on building a long-term sustainable business, um, then I think there's plenty of room and, and you know, stick with it. And, uh, you know, eventually this is good. This will get a little bit easier. And I think those who have, who have stuck it out and built for the long-term are going to be positioned to do really well, right? Extremely well. Um, but it's not, this is not going to happen overnight. Totally agree. Well, thank you. Um, this has been Chris Crane from Forefront Ventures also sits on NCIA's board of directors. And, and I believe you are the, Co-chair? The vice chair. Vice chair. Vice chair, yes. I was treasurer up until two days ago. Now I'm the vice chair. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for stepping up your involvement with NCIA, and thank you for everything you do for the industry and the movement. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the afternoon. Will do. Thanks. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.